Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody, and good morning, those of you uh, online as well. Yeah, I, I uh, wanted to say to Steph mentioned Easter next week. Just, uh, it, I'm I'm blessed by our team and our crew and how much uh, effort they put into making sure that we are able to uh, connect with those of you that are at home. But that said, I also really, really look forward to the time when we can hopefully soon all be back together again. Uh, you know, in one place. There's something about that that's uh, pretty special. And along those lines, I wanted to mention uh, very soon, I can't give you an exact date, but in the next two or three weeks, likely, we will be reopening the uh, preschool and elementary classrooms. So those of you with kids uh, will be able to come back and bring your kids. We are working with the folks at Christ the King Preschool right now to make sure that we follow all the safety protocols and we're, that they follow as well to make that as clean and safe as we can for the kids. But we look forward to that, look forward to being together again. Uh, but, hi. So uh, we've been, uh, if you've been with us, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to take a little break and focus on the liturgical calendar the next couple of weeks, this morning, Palm Sunday, and then you're coming back again. I just keep talking and pretend you're not here. It's over here. Okay. There we go. Ignore that man. Um, Palm Sunday today, and then, of course, as Stephanie mentioned, Easter next week. Uh, yeah, and just, uh, we'd love to see you on Easter. We have, we, we, even if 10 or 15 more people show up, I think we're fine just the way we're set up right now. So that would be great. Um, you know, on that note, uh, so this morning is Palm Sunday, and uh, we do begin to sort of think about uh, the liturgical calendar. Uh, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what we typically refer to as Passion Week. It's the, which always is weird to me. I guess it's the passion is, is the crucifixion, but it's, it's a, I just find that to be an odd name, but it is what it is. It's Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' life. And Jesus, of course, uh, it's, it's busy. A lot happens. There's a lot of it. You know, if you read your, the, the different gospel accounts, a lot takes place in this last week of Jesus' life as he is increasingly aware that the time is running short for him to accomplish those things that he came to do. Um, and that all begins today, uh, Palm Sunday, with his arrival in Jerusalem. And we all know the story. He's hailed as a king, um, but again, if you watch old movies or whatever, you know, a king would ride in on a war horse, a big white horse, and they, and they would probably have a big sword. Uh, Jesus looked nothing like that. 
Uh, he rode in on, of course, the back of a donkey. Um, if you want to look at the uh, text in Zechariah, I think is there's such a dichotomy. There, there's such a uh, c- kind of an odd sort of thing that happens. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. He's righteous and victorious. So you see a king coming that's righteous and victorious, and yet at the same time, he's lowly and riding on a donkey. And so there's this thing of Jesus coming in as a king, but really not looking like folks might expect a king to look. As he approaches, of course, you know, the the crowds are shouting, and you can go to the next slide there. Blessed is the name, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Uh, Peace in heaven, glory. Here comes the king, and and we, we've seen movies and you've read the text and maybe I think here at times past we've done things with the kids where they wave the palm branches and they march in and we've all, it's, it's quite a scene really when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. Uh, but again, the crowds, they're cheering because they, they are confident. They believe wholeheartedly this is the moment they've all been waiting for. The Messiah is here. Jesus is going to come and, and, and restore Israel to their proper place as God's chosen people. He's going to overthrow the Roman government, release them from the oppression that they're under. And, uh, this is just a glorious, glorious day. Um, they are, so part of that, Jesus coming into Jerusalem is a big deal. They're very, very focused on that fact. Uh, they they believe uh, and have always believed um, that Jerusalem was significant in terms of the coming of the Messiah. In fact, if you look back, go one more slide, all the way to Jesus' birth, they believed that Jerusalem was significant. Uh, this is the prophet Anna, and she says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So even as Jesus was born throughout his life, and then, of course, at the end of his life, there's this focus on Jerusalem. We don't really get that. So here we are, we're Westerners living in the 21st century. And all of us have, uh, we believe and have been taught and have lived our our whole lives with the understanding that God is everywhere, that God is omnipresent, that, uh, you know, when, when two or three gather, that I am there with them. So we come to church every week to worship, uh, but, but we come with the understanding that we're not coming to this building because God's here. Uh, the truth is that he comes to the building with us. And, and we, we believe in our own hearts and minds that we could come here or, or we could go to the beach or the mountains, or the parking lot at Walmart, and gather together, and God would be there, because he's, he is where we are. So we don't really understand this focus that they had on Jerusalem. Today, however, even still, to this very day, both conservative Jews and conservative Muslims would consider Jerusalem to be a sacred place. And it's not just a plot of land or a piece of dirt. Uh, it really is a holy place. 
in their understanding. And that's why, again, I don't think we fully understand. You know, there's, there's sort of this ongoing conflict that takes place in the Middle East. And we've read about it in recent years between, you know, Palestine and Israel and where's the line, who gets what land. And then all, all my life, getting back, it's every few years, there's something else comes up where there's this conflict in the Middle East. And so much of it is always centered around uh, this territory being holy land and, and who gets to lay claim to that holy land. It's very, very central. Jerusalem is central uh, in the thinking of, of those conservative religious groups. Certainly, in Jesus' day, at this time, it was very, very central. The, the waving of the palm fronds, the whole, you know, entry into Jerusalem, that was the point. The point was that Jesus coming to Jerusalem was the indication that this was, in fact, the Messiah. This was the time. There's something very, very different was about to happen. Now, again, there's this scene. The, the people are shouting and cheering and waving the branches, and they're there welcoming Jesus in. And how does Jesus respond? He responds very differently. So our title this morning is... Why did Jesus weep? Go ahead. Bing, boom, pop. What? What are you doing? No, it's okay. The title is Why Did Jesus Weep? Um, I need the text. I can't. <laughs> oh, all right. Go. All right. Let's pray and then, and then we'll deal with technical difficulties. God bless technology. Jesus, thanks so much for uh, this morning. As we focus this week on uh, really not Jerusalem, but on you and on your arrival, not only uh, in that place at that time, but in this place and in our lives and in our hearts uh, and, and in our community and in our families and in our friends and our place of work, that you are, in fact, with us all the time, everywhere we go. We look to you, we love you, and, and we are so honored and blessed to be called by your name. So we just pray you would open your word to us this morning, Lord. In your name, amen. Look at four verses today in Luke 19. I don't want to go, uh, there's the first two there. Again, there's this party going on. And then Luke says this, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it's hidden from your eyes. And so while the people are cheering, Jesus begins to cry. And the, the Greek word there for weep, go to the next slide, is klio, I believe, is the pronunciation. And it doesn't mean he shed a tear. Uh, it, it, it means literally weep aloud, expressing uncontainable, audible grief. Jesus looks out over the crowds and down into the city, and he begins to sob. His response is very different than his welcome. Uh, he cries, he sobs, and then he, he gives this very, very ominous prophecy. And go one more slide. The next two verses say, he, Jesus continues, The days will come upon you 
When your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I don't think that's what they were expecting to hear as Jesus came into Jerusalem. You'll be hemmed in on every side. In ancient warfare, so if... if your enemy attacks, typically the people would be inside of a walled city or a fortress of some kind, and so that's their protection is this wall. So the enemy may not be able to breach the wall to get to you, but here's what would happen. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, they'll just wait you out. Sooner or later, you're going to run out of food in there and you're going to need to make a grocery run. And so they'll just camp on the outside and wait till you have to come out. That, that's, that was a strategy of ancient warfare. There was the understanding and what Jesus is saying is, there's no way out. Sooner or later, this is all going to catch up with you. They didn't understand the kind of peace that Jesus intended to bring. They really, really did think that Jesus would bring war in the sense that um, he would overthrow the Roman government. Somehow that's got to happen. I don't know if they thought he would just wave his magic wand and he overthrow them, but the, the reality is that they were not prepared for what Jesus was preparing to do. So as this is all taking place, Jesus begins to cry. So why did he cry? Why did Jesus weep? There's really three things. If you go to the next slide, uh, that's just my thinking, what I kind of came up with. Why was Jesus weeping? And the first was that God doesn't always get his way. Jesus is weeping because, unlike the others there, he knows the outcome. They're cheering and proclaiming victory. They, they believe that God's going to bring victory. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not that easy. There, there, there is today still, and uh, I, th I think this was true throughout, especially the latter part of the 20th century, but I think it's been cyclical throughout the history of the church. There's this sort of thread that runs through it's a theological perspective called triumphalism and it's the idea that god is victorious he's going to win and we're going to stomp on the devil's head and yay uh and you see that we hear that sometimes you know it, it's it's prominent in uh certain pentecostal movements and the the faith movement some of the name it and claim it kind of portions of the church it's challenging because ultimately it's true. We, 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 Jesus does win. He is triumphant. But the problem is, as we understand the kingdom of God, there's a lot of territory between then and now. And there, a lot of things happen in between. And even though we win the war, the battle is still being fought. And sometimes we lose the battle. Sometimes there are difficulties and problems and things that take place over the course of walking life out with Jesus, and it's not all victory all the time. Also manifest in that thinking sometimes is the, the notion or the idea that if anything bad does happen, that that's part of God's plan. And, and I would say that, that that's not, uh, 
good theology. Um, God, God does have a plan, but his, his plan, in, wrapped up in his plan is the idea that he, he loves us to the degree that he gives us a choice in the matter. And we all understand that. We all understand that every day and probably uh, multiple times during the course of the day, we make a choice to follow God's plan or not. Years ago, uh, some of you might remember, it's been a long time, but I did a message here called God is Pro-Choice. And I did that on purpose just to ruffle feathers because, of course, when we hear the term pro-choice, that's usually associated with the contrasting term pro-life in relationship to uh, abortion. But I, I didn't mean it in that context at all. I just use it to be to stir up people's interest and get them thinking. What I was saying was simply this, that God gives us a choice, and we have the opportunity to choose, yes, I'll follow you, or no. And when Jesus understands this, he, he knows, see, we choose sometimes the wrong thing, right? All of us sometimes choose things that are not God's plan. Sometimes we go way off the rails and we make decisions that are heartbreaking, that are tragic and have significant consequences and Jesus weeps. And that really brings us to the second thing, I think, why Jesus weeps this day. If you go to the next slide is that God leaves us to bear the consequences of our choices. And again, I've said before, we see Jesus and we see the fullest, most complete, truest representation of God that we will ever see. What does God look like? You look at Jesus, that's what God looks like. Jesus said that himself. If you see me, you see the Father. So we, we, we see Jesus, and Jesus establishes guidelines. He establishes boundaries for us. Why? Because he loves us. He says, hey, don't touch that. It's hot. Our house, uh, we, we have a, an electric stove. And so the burners, when you turn them on, they get red, right? They're, they're red. And then when you turn the burner off, the red goes down immediately, but it's still hot for a little while after that. It doesn't look hot, but it is hot. And the kids were over at the house one day, and little Jackson walked up to the stove, and he was kind of looking at it. And he, I said, Jackson, don't touch that. It's hot. And he said, hot, and he pulled his hand back. And he understood, that's hot. I don't want to touch that. We don't always respond that way, do we? Sometimes God says, don't touch that. It's hot. And what do we do? I'm just going to touch it a little bit. I just want to see how hot it is. I know you guys would never do that, but I would. I found an interesting verse this week. Go to the next one, Luke 7. Listen to this. The Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Do you realize that Jesus had purpose and plan even for the Pharisees? That, that, think about that for a minute. That, that, that'll bend your mind a little bit. That the Pharisees could have been part of God's plan and could have been utilized in God's purposes to fulfill the kingdom of God in the lives of people, but they chose not to. They, they made a choice. Because, so the point of that is that it doesn't matter who you are, God has a plan for you. 
Or as I tell Tucker sometimes, Jesus loves you and I have a plan for your life. But God does have a plan for your life. But we don't always follow the plan. God allows us to choose. He loves us enough to give us choice. And sometimes we, we don't choose the right thing. And we end up bearing the consequences of that. Go to Isaiah 30. Isaiah says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Woe to the obstinate children. It's such a dynamic verse because he's speaking to the children. These are children of God, but they're obstinate. To those who carry out plans that aren't mine. Forming an alliance but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin. Don't do that. <laughs> That's your word for today. Don't do that. When we choose uh, to go away from God's plan and we move in a different direction, uh, what happens is ultimately we move out from underneath his protection and we're left to bear the consequences of the choices we make. And sometimes those things are are painful. Uh, go to the next slide is Romans. See, three times Paul is really trying to hammer this home. He says the same thing three times. God gave them over. And you understand that the, the essence of God giving them over is God didn't cause things, things to happen. They chose to go a different direction. And so God said, okay, if that's where you're going to go, that's what happens. And he allowed them to go the way that they wanted to go, and so that they then bore the consequences of their sin. The last thing is this, and if you go to the next slide, is that God weeps when we reject him. Um, we see Jesus here. It's, it's hard. It's so clear. I, the heart of God, it just he's brokenhearted, weeping, sobbing, uh, over the choices that his kids are making. Um, yeah, yeah, God allows us to choose because he loves us. He's not going to force us into relationship with him. But when we make choices that are less than smart, it, it breaks God's heart every single time we make a decision to walk away or take that step or touch that burner that's opposite of what God has, it breaks his heart. And, and again, I, I just kind of in wrapping up, I think there's another sort of mindset that we see. And, and I will say this, that most of us are not as familiar with it because in the, in sort of some of 20th century kind of evangelicalism, there was very much this, this, um, sort of sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of understanding. But I, I think that in recent history, over the last uh, 15 or 20 years, maybe 30 years more, there's been more of a move towards churches uh, li like the Vineyard and others that uh, really see God in a different light. And, and I would propose to us this morning that we open our eyes and allow ourselves to begin to see God in a different light too. Not so much that image of uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, uh, but sinners looking into the eyes of a brokenhearted God who loves us, whose heart is weeping over the lostness of his kids. Um, 
whose heart breaks every single time every one of his kids goes astray. Uh, Tuck, if you and Steph and Mercy want to come back up. So this week, Passion Week, I would encourage you a couple things as we prepare for Easter next Sunday. Go through the Gospels and read the different texts of the things that happen. And sometimes if you if you Google like a biblical timeline, sometimes you can figure it out from the text. Sometimes it's hard which day, which things happened. Spend some time looking at that and try to put yourself in the mind of Jesus. What was he thinking? What was going on in his heart as he was approaching Jerusalem, as he was coming in, as he was moving from this place towards the cross? Um, and, and meditate on a couple things. Meditate on the heart of God, the Father heart of God, which I think we sense. But then I was reminded of something this week too, and that is the the mother heart of God. God sometimes uh, is not only does it not only has a father's heart towards us, but he kind of has a mother's heart towards us too. Look at the last. Oh, it's already there. Look at that. That last verse in Luke thirteen. I love this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen. That's a mother chicken. <laughs> Gathers her chicks on her wings. And if you've ever seen a head do that, it's pretty cool. They all run and hide under there. And that's what God does. He opens his wings and he says, come and hide under here and it'll be okay. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.